Hello, and welcome to Clean Tech Talk, Alacrity Canada's podcast series focusing on the clean tech sector. Our host for this episode is Peter Vandergrach, a serial technology entrepreneur who has successfully launched, financed, operated, and sold multiple technology companies and has over 30 years of experience. Currently acting as chairman, director, consultant, or investor in over 10 companies, Peter dedicates his time to supporting the growth of innovative startups through other organizations, including our very own Alacrity Foundation. Today we're talking to Gary Agnew of Ideon Technologies. The company is a pioneer in the application of cosmic ray muon tomography. The technology provides X-ray-like visibility up to a kilometer beneath the Earth's surface, displaying what subsurface anomalies such as resource pockets exist in a 3D density profile. Gary Agnew is CEO and co-founder at Ideon. He spent 25 years providing mining, equipment, technology, and services, also known as METS, in support of the global mining industry, including over 20 years at Finning International, before becoming CEO of Ideon in March 2020 and securing $1.3 million in seed funding within his first few months. Welcome, Gary. We're looking forward to uh, hearing your story. Thanks very much, Peter. So probably most of our audience would have heard about muons before, but maybe you could just give us kind of muons uh, 1.1, Gary, and how how they help with what you're doing in terms of, let's call it like uh, X-raying this, the earth. Yeah, uh, Peter, we, we typically use an analogy to help uh, kind of explain that. And the best analogy we have is the medical X-ray. Um, which effectively measures density anomalies in the human body down to a centimeter resolution. Well, basically, we're doing the same thing um, for the Earth's surface. Uh, uh, looking beneath the Earth's surface, we're working obviously at a very different scale, and our approach is passive, and therefore it doesn't emit any harmful uh, radiation. So that's kind of what the technology does in terms of how it works. Um, uh, our, our process actually starts in space. And um, as a result of supernova explosions, um, cosmic rays uh, are, are impeding on the Earth's upper atmosphere. And this creates muon flux, which is uh, similar to an electron in, in many regards, travels in straight lines, uh, almost the speed of light, and uh, travels to the Earth's surface and actually penetrates the Earth's surface. And so basically what we're doing, Peter, is we're, our detector platform is uh, able to measure the intensity of muon flux in any direction um, at 120 degree field of view and that really allows us to um, initially produce 2d radiographic images um, above each of our detectors and we use those various detectors then to create a 3d reconstruction of the area of interest okay so i've got it so then gary it's not i don't think of it an x-ray generally you control the source and the receiver in your particular case the source as you said is the universe and so you're uh, you're placing detectors to build imaging and and, uh, and information around that. Is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. The, the one thing we don't control in this whole process is the rate of neon flux. Uh, so different in that regard for sure than the, the medical X-ray analogy. Okay, thanks for that, Gary. Now, some of us would be vaguely familiar with a variety of approaches that mining companies use in the exploration phase where they're looking for ore bodies or trying to define where they are you're trying to define sort of the grade of them and maybe the composition of them. There's lots of lots of different approaches. Can you sort of explain to the listeners how Muon, how your technology sort of fits in with that suite of exploration uh, choices out there for mining companies? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so we fit into the um, what's called the geophysics uh, tool kit, 
and uh, technologies like uh, seismic, electromagnetic, uh, gravimetry uh, are all similar uh, technologies in that in that space. I guess what's unique about ours, Peter, is we're a straight line imaging uh, technique. Um, the, all the other techniques are inference based. And what that allows us to do differently to those other technologies is really give the customer a very high degree of certainty. In fact, you know, we, we publish, we provide 95% plus certainty that when we image a, a, an anomaly, it really exists. And that's just capability that you don't uh, get with those other technologies. So then um, if you approach a customer, would you say, okay, Mr. Customer, you don't have to do seismic or you don't have to do electromagnetics because you can do muon instead? Or do you see your approach as additive to give the mining company sort of new insights or additional information? I'm just trying to get a sense of, does it display something or add to a suite? Yeah, so I mean, we, we absolutely believe muon tomography brings um, a, a level of certainty and visibility that hasn't existed before in the subsurface. So, so we believe we, we have an anchor point to then be able to make sense of some of the other data sets, uh, Peter. And so, you know, we, we believe we offer uh, something quite, uh, quite novel, um, but our strategy is really to, to look at bringing together other data sets that the customer may have and bring them together um, with a, a quantifiable certainty level um, so that the data sets actually augment each other rather than at times they do today contradict each other. Probably the thing, Peter, we, we are very focused on displacing is drilling. And so today, um, exploration geologists rely heavily on uh, drilling activity. That's a very high cost activity. It's very carbon intensive uses uh, water um, and so we're really focused on uh, reducing the amount of drilling the customer has in a given area of interest. Okay that's uh, that's yeah I can see how that would be attractive because uh, that drilling is expensive. Um, maybe just backing up a little bit Gary can you tell us um, is there a certain type of mineral metal uh, that that muon tomography works best with or is it a certain situation where the deposit lies i'm trying to get a sense of you know of the various uh ore bodies out there and what they might be composed of where where does muon tomography fit that's a really important question and um, so where i mean what we call our sweet spot and um, base metals um uh, are definitely you know strongly within our sweet spot and um, increasingly what are called uh, future facing minerals or, or or battery metals um are also um, in our sweet spot. Um, so you know, really what we're looking for, what our technology sees, Peter, is density contrast. And so where there is a more than a 0.1 gram per cubic centimeter of density contrast between the, the target and the host rock, um, we're able to image that distinction. And so really it's situations that there's at least 0.1 of a gram um, distinction between the density uh, we're able to image. And so for those of us who aren't sort of steeped in, in mining, Gary, can you know, how often does that happen? Is that, you know, one in a, a gazillion ore bodies have that density difference or that's, you know, that's most of them? No, I mean, our sweet spot today is about a $2 billion market of a $12 billion U.S. industry. And so it's a very meaningful part of the industry. Um, and that's where we've already been improved the technology works. 
we have a number of other um, geological uh, scenarios that we're keen to prove um, our technology works in, but we haven't you know, been able to do that work uh, yet. So we, so we think it's, it's definitely a $2 billion market opportunity and, and potentially going to grow beyond that over time. Great. Thanks, Gary. Um, maybe uh, drilling into that um, a little bit more, you know, my understanding of the mining industry is because it's basing value and the value of an asset on, on measurements and inference that the regulatory bodies of financial institutions, you know, have a variety of different methodologies that they accept, you know, reports that need to be produced by geologists so that investors get a fair, fair comfort on there's an asset there. Can you help me understand where, where this technology kind of fits in within that regulatory framework? Yeah, that's an important uh, agenda. If you think about it, it's the National Instrument 43101, um, which is really the, um, the measurable uh, deposit in the ground. Um, so you know, we, we can't take the customer all the way to the fully measured deposit in the ground. Our role, Peter, really is to remove uh, a large amount of uh, hit and miss drilling that happens over many years on a project. And what we want to do is cut the drilling activity cut the cost, remove the risk, and then move the customer to the position where they're ready to do um, you know, intersection drilling to get to the 43101 um, certificate. So again, we, we don't eliminate drilling, we reduce it dramatically, and then there's drilling required at the end to fully qualify uh, to those standards. Got it, that makes sense, Gary, thank you for that. Uh, a, a little background here, you know, being a technology developer, um, it's one thing to have technology. It's another thing to have customers adopt it and industries adopt it. And what I found in mining is that there's, you know, maybe I have the wrong technology, but but a lot of inertia and tradition in, in the way they go about doing things. And so I found it difficult to, you know, present the technology, have it be adopted and have it become an industry standard. Now, you've steeped in this industry with 20 years at Finning. So I'm just curious either in your experience specifically with muon tomography or in the 20 years you must have seen it all in terms of new approaches and technologies coming into the market to see which ones have caught fire and which ones haven't. I'm just looking for you to sort of pass on some wisdom and some observations to our, our audience here. Yeah, I think it, what's important to start with, Peter, is, is to understand the customer's environment. And, and mining is a very complex, interconnected, uh, process of massive scale. And so mining companies' ability just to change in and out point solutions, it, it, there's actually a lot of um, uh, change management effort required um, to make those changes. So what I've learned over time is the, the solution has to offer a significant value proposition to the mine or to the mining company to, to create the uh, momentum to be able to make those changes. And, and, and in the environment we're in at the moment, we're looking backwards over the last 10 years at the exploration business. I mean, this business has spent $200 billion globally and has returned 109 billion of economic deposits. That's a minus 45 ROI, and, and that's just unsustainable um, for those companies. And then if you look forward, you know, the world needs 500% increase in minerals and metals over the next 30 years to support the energy transition. And so mining is called it, we think, this inflection point 
where the past is, is not acceptable in the future and there's a, a much different future required. So we're actually finding the industry very receptive to our engagement and the technology and, and particularly the amount of value um, we think we can contribute to their bottom line. That, well, that's good to hear. And that should be encouraging for all of us that are in the innovation development game that there's a, you know, a, an industry with a pain point that's uh, looking for new ideas. So thanks, thanks for that, Gary. Uh, maybe to drill into it, maybe a little bit more specifically, a new technology, a point solution like you've described needs to fit in with an overall um, way of going about exploration. So I'm curious as to, to make a sale, do you make it to you know, one of the engineering firms like uh, Hatch or SNC-Lavalin, or do you make it to an equipment dealer, VAR, like a finning? Do you go directly to the mine owner? I'm just curious, where, where is the path to, uh, to win business? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing a lot of work on this this year, Peter, and where we've landed is that um, this is a direct-to-customer um, uh, go-to-market. And we see there's just a massive learning opportunity in front of the customer and, and we're finding customers very open to working in a partnership type relationship. And, and really what we've learned over time is that um, the quality of the outcome we can deliver is heavily um, uh, dependent on our, the quality of our understanding of the customer's context and their problem. And so we, we don't want an intermediary between us and that rich dialogue and, and learning and, and understanding that, that comes from being face-to-face, -face, albeit through Zoom these days, but being face-to-face -face with the, the customer. So yeah, we're, we're a direct-to-customer and a, a partnership relationship model is, is how we're driving the business. Great. Thanks for that. A little bit now into what is the offering? So you could imagine a variety of different business models, Gary, where on the one hand, you could build receivers and then say, here, Mr. Customer, buy these receivers off me, plunk them down and collect your own data. Or you could imagine you're a services company that, that maybe retains ownership of those receivers and goes about doing surveys for customers. Um, you could imagine maybe a model where on, on top of the data raw data collection, you do a ton of processing and maybe integrate it with other data sources as you were talking about earlier and sort of deliver uh, an information package. I'm just curious if you could help our audience understand uh, how you, what is it you're gonna sell? Um, because again, it helps illuminate them on their businesses and, and how they might go about packaging solutions. Yeah, Peter, I mean, from a principal perspective, you know, I see our role to manage through a lot of complexity, complexity of hardware, software, data, you know, project management, advisory, all the things that go into our solution. Our job at Ideon is to work through the complexity and provide the customer with a simple solution, a, a simple business model that's easy to understand and do, do business with. And, and so, yeah, that's that's been our focus. So we, we take all of that complexity in, in the geophysics space, you know, we, we still have companies charging for mobilization, demobilization, for hardware, software, labor, et cetera. And, and when we looked at this, we, we felt there was an opportunity to innovate the business model as well as to bring innovative technology to the space. And so what really we're focused on is, is certainty as a service, where we provide subsurface confidence for the mining or the exploration company and Ideon. We look after all the bells and whistles and software and algorithms to be able to do that better than anybody else. 
but we offer it to the customer to simply a simple flat monthly payment uh, program. Okay, well, that, that's really interesting, Gary. Uh, you know, what I'm kind of used to in these industries is there's a certain methodology that's been adopted and then companies basically put together RFPs based around this methodology and they go out to the services community uh, looking for bids. It sounds like what you're doing is really quite disruptive. It, it's more like an unsolicited proposal as opposed to a response to an RFP. Is that, do I have that right? You're 100% correct, uh, Peter. You know, we, we, don't, um, we, we, we don't focus on RFP processes. Um, you know, we, we engage with the customer, you know, in a partnership style, uh, understand their objectives, and really we're heavily focused on delivering outcomes to the customer. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure along the, the, the track, we'll get embroiled in some RFP processes. Uh, but for now, it's, um, it's a, a partnership type proposal that we take to relationships that the team or myself have had over the years and some new ones that um, have, have come along. And, um, you yeah, know, so far, so good. Um, it's obviously still early days, Peter, so I don't want to count any uh, chickens before they're hatched. Um, but uh, so far, so far, so good. So I'm a mining company. I have an exploration program. I have an exploration budget in mind. Uh, and then you knock on my door. And it sounds like what you're saying is, hey, Peter, um, go ahead and keep doing what you're doing, but take part of that budget and let's do this new approach. Uh, and... Uh, you get that sort of, as you pointed out, more certainty on the geophysical side um, before you start drilling. Is that basically what you're doing? Is you're you're sort of repositioning part of the exploration budget? Yeah, I mean, the, the conversation typically starts with um, what is it you're trying to achieve in this, you know, financial year or quarter or whatever it is. Um, you know, what are your exploration objectives, and what is your current plan to achieve those objectives? And then we work with a customer, bringing our expertise to the table and obviously their understanding of their project. And really we help them see areas where we can remove uh, drilling costs, we can remove um, you know, uh, lots of other uh, geo, um, geophysical techniques and, and really develop an optimized plan with the customer. And then obviously you know, that plan will require our solution for a, a given period of time and we'll price that plan for the, for the customer and, and really go from there. I see. Okay, so that's uh, pretty comprehensive. So it's not just, say, the geophysical part of an exploration package. You're also impacting the geotech side of things because of your, I guess, call, let's call it better certainty uh, from the geophysics side. Correct. I mean, really where we want to be, Peter, is setting objectives with the customer to say, we're going to target X amount of drilling uh, displacement um, in the coming you know, operating period. And then you know, integrating our technology to make that happen. Right, got it. Okay, um, so Gary, maybe it would turn a little bit to sort of stage of development. You know, most of us in the technology world are used to say a, a technology readiness level. So it starts everywhere from somebody with a piece of paper and an idea, all the way to a product you can go down to Walmart and buy in any quantity you want. So can you help um, our audience sort of understand where you are along that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the business has been, uh, uh, the innovation has been around for 10 years, Peter, originally um, at Triumph um, up at UBC. And really during that time, there's been an intense focus on originally proof of concepts uh, back, back in 2010. 
Um, and then industry commercial trials. Uh, the business has done an amazing job of commercial trials, you know, with the likes of you know Tech Resources, BHP, Arana, some of the largest mining companies in the world. So we've done those trials and really been heavily informed by the industry of what this would need to look like. Um, one of the key pieces of feedback we had was the, the original detectors, Peter, the size of a kitchen table and a large one at that. And so loud and clear, the mining industry should come back to us and said, like, we love the technology, we love the imaging, but the form factor will not work for us. And so really the, the business has been on a, a 10 year journey um, to miniaturize uh, the detection device. And that really is, we are on the verge of completing that program. We'll be deploying the first detectors in the spring uh, in 2021. Um, that's a 50X miniaturization process that we've gone through. And that really is the key that unlocks our ability to go and commercialize uh, the solution in market. Um, we've done a lot of work on the software uh, side. We have a, a really well-developed physics engine. Um, and so we're, we're well set up everywhere else. The form factor on the detector is, is really the, the key. And so we're, we're within, it was within tasting distance, Peter, it's that close. Excellent. Well, that's, uh, that's good to know. That was going to be kind of my next question, which is what is the next milestone? So it sounds like, Gary, the next milestone is with these slimmed down detectors miniaturized detectors to basically go out and, you know, validate that you can give the same kind of performance as let's call it the, the full table version? Yeah, exactly right. Um, just in the last few weeks, we announced the first uh, deployment with uh, Arano. And so we're going to be searching for high grade uranium uh, deposits, which are high grade, but uh, very compact uh, deposits. So drilling misses far more than it hits. And we're going to be doing that deployment in uh, Saskatchewan uh, with Arano. So yeah, it's it's, it's very close, and we're we're very excited to be able to uh, bring the hardware to market. Got it. Um, so this may sound like a, a bit of an odd question, but you know, some of us watch TV and we see um, people using these sorts of muon detectors in archaeological sites, looking for missing chambers or whatever in the pyramids. Is there a sort of a competitor to you or is there sort of a parallel sort of marketplace out there looking for these odd uh, voids? Yeah, I think there's a few different areas, um, Peter. So, so definitely in the um, archaeological space and you know, muon tomography was used to discover uh, you know, new uh, parts of the Great Pyramids. And, and so the, the process of muon tomography has been established for, for many decades, but it's tended to be at a scientific level and therefore the de detectors have been huge. Um, we, we, we're gonna be the first people to, to develop a borehole uh, size detector, 89 mil diameter. Um, and, and so you, there are a number of other companies around the world who honestly feel like have kind of piggybacked the, um, the Ideon story. Um, but as we're, uh, today, we're not aware of any of those companies having, having done commercial field tries to prove their capabilities. And so today, we think we're the only one, both with the, the new detector and also with a really a 10-year bank of, of commercial trials with industry partners that validates that it's not just muon tomography, but muon tomography in our customers' environment. Got it. So Gary, I always like to try to dig into sort of company origin stories. And, you know, this one is really fascinating because it got its start, as you mentioned, in Triumph. 
So if you look at where do new companies and ideas come from, sometimes they're corporate spin-outs, sometimes they're university labs, sometimes there's research. I think you guys are probably at one edge of that extreme where you have a very research-focused facility with, you know, full of scientists that love to do science. So I'm really, really curious as to how you navigate the, the sort of introduction of commercial imperatives and disciplines into, you know, an environment of science, which is about discovery and therefore it doesn't have a lot of certainty and time certainty and cost certainty to it. Just uh, must be a fascinating experience to go through. Yeah, and um, it, it really is. I mean, one of our company values, Pete, uh, is driven by industry, informed by science. And, and that, for me, captures very well the 10-year the story of Ideon, because the, the, the scientific foundation that we have from being a spin-out from Triumph is world-class. Uh, Doug Shooten, who's our CTO, was originally on the project as an employee of, of Triumph. Um, Don Forsyth was originally the uh, CEO of Triumph Innovations and joined the project. Uh, project. So we, we have a, a couple of members, a couple of the founders um, who come from Triumph and, and joined the business um, uh, as an independent company. Um, and, and actually the, the whole story started with an exploration geologist, a guy called Brian Powell, uh, who had read about muon tomography in, uh, online. And, and he was the one that actually called Triumph and said, would this work for exploration? And what was great was Triumph's response was, we don't know, but we'd love to find out. And that's how the, the whole story kind of unraveled. But, but you're right, Peter, we, we, we feel we're pro providing a building, a bridge between academia and industry. And so our relationship with Triumph continues to be excellent. You know, Catherine Hayashi there is a, a tremendous partner to, to deal with. Uh, we've got you know deep relationship with Queens, UBC, SFU on the academic side. And then you know, I mentioned your know, companies like tech and BHP and so forth on the industry side. And so our role is to, to live in both worlds and be able to integrate the understanding from both worlds into our technology. Um, and, and really, Peter, to the point of, you know, Don and Doug come from a, a, a Triumph background. And so, you know, this year as I joined the company, I mean, what they recognized was that there was commercial aptitude required to get this technology from a great innovation into a, a you know a great solution for the market and so you know the guys went out to find a new ceo and i was very fortunate to get introduced to don and and really i've been bringing the commercial um picture to the to the business and but but i can tell you um to see don and doug who've who spent a, a large part of their life uh, you know on this project to see their energy as we're, we're we're getting more and more into the industry with more and more partners it's powerful there's, there's absolutely no resistance. Uh, great scientists, I believe, want to see their technology, their their inventions. They they want to see them used in the world, and and that's what I feel from from Don and Doug. There's no resistance whatsoever. You know, that's a it's a great story, Gary, and I hope Canada has more like that because you know, as a country, we invest a lot in university research, and it's so nice to see that research bear fruit in the commercial environment and create jobs and create value and make investors and employees and customers happy. I think it's a, it's really a great story. We're looking forward to, to keeping track of. Hey, do you know what? It's, it's one of the things that first attracted to me to the business. Now, obviously you can tell from my dialect, I'm, I'm not a Canadian. I'm originally from the, from the UK, but 
when I understood how the various parts of the Canadian ecosystem through funding, through in kind, I mean, there's so many people and so many organizations played a role in getting this business to this, this point in time. And I'm very proud of that. I'm not a Canadian. And so I, you know, I think Canada should be very proud of, of this type of um, company that's, that's gone through a lot of uh, organizations of support along the way. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really going to be a great story to follow. So, Gary, maybe that's a good a good sort of wrap up question, which is, you know, I've been asking you a bunch of questions, but, you know, you're in the driver's seat. You're watching it. What what one or two things would you want our audience to, to know that we haven't asked? Um, maybe the one thing that I, that I think is important, you were asking about mining, uh, Peter, and, and adoption of technology. Um, for, for me, often uh, technology has come as an awe. Have this great technology or make more money. And, and for me, you know, what's very difficult for the customer to say no to is when you can provide great environmental benefits and increase their profitability. I mean, you know, no good business person will say no to that proposition. And so, you know, for me, thinking about the clean tech space, how we help industries like mining, which is, you know, massive GDP for Canada, I think we've got to have more and conversations and how we make it more profitable for the company and more environmentally you know, friendly, um, you know, in, in terms of impact. Yeah, well, that's a great, uh, a great point, uh, Gary. We didn't really spend much time talking about uh, sort of the carbon intensity of drilling holes in the ground and having dry wells. Um, so obviously, if you can reduce that, you do, like you said, you get a double win. You get a win for the planet and a win for the pocketbook. That's exactly right. Well, Gary, um, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, it's a fascinating business built around some really cool technology. Uh, it's, it's, as you point out, has real opportunity to, to disrupt and improve the upstream performance of mining and the exploration and getting, you know, productive ore bodies. So it's just a fascinating story. I hope we get to have you back and hear more of it as it evolves. More information about Ideon Technologies can be found at ideon.ai. That's I-D-E-O-N.ai. For details on Alacrity's cleantech program, visit alacritycanada.com slash cleantech. Thanks for listening and catch us next time on Cleantech Talk with Alacrity Canada.